flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless me as I preach your word to speak truly and to shine light on the riches of your Holy Scripture. And please bless us all, myself included, with ears to receive your truth, your word, and that your word would strengthen us, guide us, and grow us for your glory, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I've done it again. Um, I've picked the most awkward verse of the lectionary to preach on. But the Bible isn't shy. The Bible doesn't blush to speak about very practical, earthy, bodily matters, and neither should biblical preachers be shy. It's the case, and I'm sure you've picked up on it, that um, the world sometimes charges Christians with making too big a deal of sexual sins. Have you encountered that sort of uh, rhetoric? Yeah. I find it ironic, um, actually, with how big a deal the world makes about sexuality in the wrong way that that charge comes. Nevertheless, even among Christians, sometimes uh, you'll hear Christians say, well, sexual sin is just one sin among others. Have any of you heard that? Uh, did you say that? I have. This, none of this is the teaching of God according to the Holy Spirit speaking through St. Paul, who sets aside sexual sin as a separate category, right? Every other sin, every other category of sin, a, per, is a, a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The Bible gives it its own category of seriousness and gravity. And what's remarkable is that in this passage, the Holy Spirit connects the very highest theology with this most practical bodily, earthy uh, exhortation. And so I want to begin with this high theology that underwrites and makes sense of this um, St. Paul drilling in on this one specific category of sin. So the theology begins with, you were bought with a price. Of course, the description of Christ's death on the cross, but not one that just the security camera on Calvary on Good Friday would have noticed, right? Nothing on the cross that says this is a purchase. But Jesus himself described his death as a purchase. Right? The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? A ransom, the handing over of money to free someone else. Right? I mean, it's not part of our ordinary life these days. But in the ancient world, ransoming was a more common thing. You were bought with a price. And by you, the Bible says very clearly here, this means both soul and body. We accidentally sometimes think that Christ came just to save our souls. That's only half of the gospel. He came to save our souls and our bodies. He ransomed both when he purchased both for freedom with his own death of soul and body on the cross. The sort of intuitive logic of you were bought with a price and how that governs our behavior 
I can only kind of get my head around with a sort of lower image, which is a scene I love from that movie from the, I think from the early 2000s, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Caviezel. Any of you seen that film? It's a great film, a great film adaptation of the book. Um, if I read novels, then I know who the author was of the actual book. Is it Dumas? No. Yes. Oh, yes. Nice. Okay. Um, but that scene when, um, when um, the protagonist has fallen into a group of um, pirates and brigands and is going to be battling one of them to the death, and they're dagger fighting, and he goes and he, he overcomes the other, but then spares his life. And so he'd been going by the nickname Zatara at that point, and the man whose life was spared recognizes that now his whole life is owed to this man. And he says, Zatara, I am yours forever. It's a scene that always makes me cry, and my brother said it to me at my wedding as my, brother, as my best man. Zatara, I am yours forever. But that's the logic, right? If your life has been radically saved by another, you owe them your everything. That's the logic of this passage. So what you do, what I do, what we do with our bodies can no longer be just our decision. It's in light of, it's with reference to the fact that we've been bought with a price. We've been freed from an inevitable death. Even more to this, St. Paul adds, not only that, but we also have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That all of you, all of us who have been baptized, who have faith in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling within our soul, which is fundamentally united to our body. And so therefore, St. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? St. Paul even sort of pushes this to a sort of graphic edge, right, in what we just said in 1 Corinthians. Would you dare take the all-holy God and unite Christ to a prostitute? Like showing the unthinkableness of sexual sin for a Christian because God himself, God the Holy Spirit, has residence in you. How could you take the holy God into evil? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. But what is meant by sexual immorality? The Greek word you're probably familiar with if you've been coming to church for some time um, is porneia. And it means anything, thought, word, or deed that is sexually impure. As to the specifics of what that looks like, your conscience, inspired by the Holy Spirit, already knows what it is. So I don't need to get into um, articulated details. Instead, I want to offer um, just two questions to sharpen our conscience with the Holy Spirit. One question, if you are uh, presently unmarried, to ask yourself in the midst of um, your pursuits of your life, are you pursuing anything for the purpose of arousal? That's porneia. If you're married, I would also invite you to consider this question. Are you pursuing arousal from selfish motive or by means of manipulation? Just because you're married doesn't mean that sexual sin stops becoming a category, right? These are questions I offered you. They're questions I ask myself in my own wanting to glorify God with my body. I invite you to ask yourself them too in the midst of your life. To flee from porneia, from sexual immorality. And because um, body and soul are connected, you know, we aren't, body and soul don't exist like 
water in a jar, right? Like as if they're just separable in that way. I can't actually think of a metaphor that expresses it other than the metaphor itself of body and soul. They're just inextricably connected, vitally connected. Because they're connected, sexual sin, which is done against the body, blights and rots the root of spiritual growth. Unless we repent. I should say unrepentant sexual sin blights spiritual growth. It's impossible to grow in our life in Christ with unrepented sexual sin. So if all of this topic, uh, the, the moment we heard it from 1 Corinthians, me preaching on it now, um, if it fills you with any guilt or a sense of heaviness, I have one word for you. Repent. We heard in Samuel that there was no atonement for the wickedness of the sons of Eli. There is atonement for us. It's already been made. That's the ransom that Jesus paid in his death on the cross. But if we simply repent and ask for mercy, do you know what happens? We get mercy. We just ask for it, and God gives it to us. That's what is meant by grace, the free gift. There is forgiveness with God. As someone who has many sins, I can assure you, there is great forgiveness with God if we repent. And then a word for all of us, however you feel about this passage. Um, the word from the scripture that I want to um, uh, brand into your mind this morning from First Corinthians is the word flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee is in, that word is a se- the, the flight. Run away. Get away. Sometimes literally with your body. Just get out of that room. Get away from that person. Get out of that situation. But also, more often than not, by frequency, fleeing with the eyes. Because most sexual immorality begins with the eyes. And so fleeing with the eyes, casting the eyes to the ground, looking away. Just fleeing. If you can't physically move your body out of the room, at least flee with your eyes. Not because we're prudes or Pharisees or think that somehow we're attaining our own righteousness, but because we're called to glorify God with our bodies. To honor the very presence of God within us by His Holy Spirit and to remember the fact that we are not our own. We were bought with a price by Jesus. And crucial to the exercise of flight is asking for God's help to flee. If you just try hard to flee, I promise you, you won't be able to. I know from experience, many years. If you pray, God, help me to flee, in the morning when you wake up, Lord, help me to flee sexual temptation when it comes to mind. Then you'll find your will strengthened by the Holy Spirit to flee in the hour of need, in the minute of need. Pray for him to help you to flee, and then with all your might, flee. Run away. Sexual temptation is not an opponent to wrestle with and reason with and argue with. We will always lose. It's an opponent to run away from into the arms of Jesus with prayer, glorifying him with our body, seeking to glorify him with our body. And when we fail, repent, and then keep fleeing. That's the mission. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And as we're about to participate in a sort of a vital way in which body and soul are connected in a way which demonstrates sort of on the opposite side of things, what it means that our body is for the Lord, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, literally. It's not a metaphor. The Holy Spirit already indwells you. And when we feed by faith, when we come with faith and receive 
Holy Communion, who are we receiving into our body but the very body of Christ, Christ himself? The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. You are a pure vessel because he is pure and lives within you. That's why we flee what is evil. Let me pray. Father, we are beset and surrounded by so many temptations to sexual immorality. And our wills are too weak to flee by ourselves. So I pray that you would pour out through this very Eucharist this morning gifts and grace to flee. To flee to you and to be free from sexual sin. That you would be glorified in our bodies more profoundly today, this week, and for the rest of our lives. As we seek to use our bodies for what you have apportioned them for. You'd be pleased by this offering of ourselves, soul and body, made pleasing only by the mercies of Jesus Christ. Amen.